listeners. Welcome back to our third episode. My name is Jenna Jordan, and I'm the marketing manager at Data Cubed Health and the host of our podcast. So far, we've discussed behavioral science at a high level. And in the last episode, we dug a little deeper into the various components of behavioral science, specifically motivation and rewards. So today, we're going to cover another component, identity lock. And I have the pleasure of speaking with our very own research scientist, Elias Baroda to talk about the concept of community and identity lock and how it can increase patient retention and compliance in clinical trials. Elias, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here with you today, Jenna, and excited to talk about community and identity lock and how they can be used in clinical trials. I love the enthusiasm. Let's jump right in. So my first question I have for you is what do community and identity lock mean in the context of behavioral science? Right. Uh, This is a great question. I think it's a really interesting one. And I think to really understand sort of these terms from the lens of behavioral science, it can be helpful to take a step back and really appreciate that humans as a species are extremely social creatures. In fact, when you think about it, many of our daily activities, our behaviors, and even decisions we make are influenced by the culture, society, and even the local community that we inhabit. And because we have this intrinsic desire for community and for belonging to a certain group, we're often willing to go to great lengths to maintain our status in whatever group that might be. For example, imagine that you have a a circle of friends who like to go hiking. Now, sometimes that means doing things that aren't necessarily fun. Like maybe you have to stay in shape or you're out hiking and you get rained on, it's not comfortable. These are what you can consider as social norms for this particular group. And while they may not always be fun to do, your desire to stay a part of that group will motivate you to adhere by social norms or rules. So that's just one example for how our intrinsic desire for social groups and belonging can be a behavioral motivator. Now, to really make social norms effective, you also have to have a strong sense of identity for that group meaning that in order to be motivated by social norms, it's first important to feel like you belong to that group and you have something in common with the people in the group, whatever that may be. Um, And this is really where the concept of identity lock comes in. The goal of the identity lock process is to tie an individual's internal sense of self to their role in the group. We know that when people come to identify with a particular group, abiding by the social norms of that group becomes much easier. So In summary, social groups together with identity lock can be a powerful means of influencing motivation and decision making. That is actually very interesting. And what a great example that you used. I would not be part of the friend group that likes to go (laughs) hiking, but to each their own, of course. Um, Every group has its norms, you know. Exactly, exactly. So my next question is, why are these concepts important when it comes to clinical trials? Yeah, so this is also also an interesting question, I think. And, and you know, when you think about it, it's, it's widely known and acknowledged that participant compliance and retention is one of the, the biggest challenges when, when it comes to clinical trials. And again, when thinking about it, this issue is fundamentally related to motivating participants. Over the course of a trial participants, they're frequently having to do activities that are onerous and they introduce friction into their lives, you know whether it's completing questionnaires, it's having to go to study visits or having to sit through lengthy testing. 
these things are by nature not very rewarding, making it difficult for participants to maintain their motivation and engagement with study procedures. And this is really where we can see the benefits of leveraging behavioral science and, and particularly the concepts of community and identity lock. As an example, we can consider a clinical trial with all of its study staff and participants to be a, a self-contained sort of artificial social group with a common identity focused on helping to advance a cure or a treatment for a particular indication. By making participants feel as if they can identify with the clinical trial or even the mission of the group makes it more likely that they'll complete their study activities regardless of the increased friction that they may be taking on. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. I mean, again, like super interesting, just super interesting stuff that we have going on right now. Yep. Yep. This, this stuff cuts deep when it comes to, I guess, clinical trials. So. Yes. Cuts deep. I love that. That's actually, that's a wicked good um, analogy. Uh, so my next question is how can the concept of identity lock be used in clinical trials? Um, yeah, uh, like, like I said, it cuts deep. It's a very powerful tool, I think. And, and the goal of the identity lock process itself in the context of a clinical trial is to tie an individual's sense of self again uh, to participation in the study and their role as a partner and a scientific contributor to the study instead of simply a study subject. When participants in a trial become sort of, or I guess when participation, I should say, in a trial becomes a part of a person's identity, then dropping out of that study or, or being non-compliant becomes more difficult. Now, practically speaking, there are a number of ways to sort of operationalize the principles of identity lock by using technology in clinical trials. Uh, an important way to do that is to enhance communication with the participants, incorporating things like patient engagement content has been shown to improve participant satisfaction and feelings of involvement in a study, which is essential to identity lock and is associated with, with better compliance. The engagement content, uh, it could be, you know, sharing study-related information, it could be educational content, or simply sending reminders about upcoming activities and why they're important or needed. Again, all of this is in order to build that sense of agencies, the sense of partnership, and of being fellow researchers in the trial. Interestingly, um, a 2017 pilot study actually found that over 70% of respondents with, can with cancer and their family members were very interested in engagement content and educational content. Um, and over 89% of those people believe that such content will be valuable to a patient who is receiving therapy. Uh, sharing this sort of information contributes to building that sense of identity, which can make compliance with study activities less onerous. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for that explanation. So I know in the short amount of time that we've been chatting, we talked about what uh, does community and identity lock mean in the context of behavioral science? Why are these concepts important when it comes to clinical trials? How can identity lock, identity lock be used in clinical trials? So I think the million dollar question is how have we applied this behavioral science component at DataCubed Health? Yeah, so at DataCubed Health, uh, we've taken several, what you could say are innovative steps to incorporate community and identity lock within our app. First is through enhanced communication. Now we've already touched on the use of engagement content, but other forms of communication are important as well. Sending messages and notifications at strategic times can not only keep participants engaged, 
but they also serve to increase the frequency of touch points outside of just the standard instruments and study visits alone. This is especially important in studies that have long gaps between visits where participants are more likely to become disengaged. Um, another thing we do at DataCube is to leverage our understanding of the connection between identity and social norms. So for example, in the app, we have characters that are designed to be welcoming and who interact with the participant in ways that encourage compliance and engagement with the study. Completing study instruments and activities is rewarded and participants are made to feel like they're making progress towards a common goal. All of this serves to ingrain social norms and to reduce friction that may be associated with study compliance. And finally, um, as a third thing, we also enable participants to personalize an avatar within the mobile app that represents them as they progress through the study journey. Participants of all ages can create avatars, <clears throat> excuse me, and we found that while all participants engage with the avatar, adults aged 55 and over have the highest level of engagement when it comes to this particular feature of our platform. Even though it may seem trivial, having a representation of yourself can help facilitate identity lock and promote adherence to study requirements. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for that answer. That was a very insightful and I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm pretty much an expert when it comes to identity lock now when we talk about it um, at a behavioral science standpoint. So thank you so much for Absolutely. taking the time to talk. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yep, it was great. I always love sharing the knowledge. So I'll be uh, staying tuned for the next episode. Awesome. Yeah. So and to our audience, we hope you enjoyed another episode of Science Spotlight. And we hope you come back and join our next episode in the upcoming weeks. And you can always access our podcast at any time on the DataCube Health website. And until next time, I'm Jenna Jordan. And thanks for listening to Science Spotlight by DataCube Health.